The following podcast is brought to you by the Jonas Podcasting Network, found exclusively at wrestlingwithjonas.com. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Wrestling With Jonas, episode 302. Uh, and if you're watching this thinking, well, this was meant to have happened uh, yesterday, Jonas, on a Monday. Well, don't don't, don't fear, uh, don't be alarmed. We're 24 hours later, rescheduled, and uh, we do have a tremendous interview ahead of us. Uh, but before I introduce my guest, uh, I don't know if you caught my last one, uh, which was with the wonderful Ripper Reed over in Japan at the moment, doing tremendous things out there. Spoke to Ripper. Uh, just over a week ago now, it was a very light, late night edition of Wrestling With Jonas, but early for him over in Japan, talking about his current excursion over there. He's about two months into a year-long tour. Um, and then, of course, uh, a couple of days later, my exclusive interview with uh, Nigel McGuinness went out from behind the scenes at the Electric Ballroom after day three of Progress Super Strong Style. Um, and to treat all of my listeners and viewers out there, today I've got a wonderful guest, but tomorrow in just 24 hours' time, I got uh, UK British wrestling legend James Mason coming onto the show um, at a slightly uh, different start time. Instead of eight o'clock, it will be eight thirty, and that is uh, Wednesday the fourteenth in just twenty-four hours' time. And we'll talk more about my uh, lineup for the rest of June very soon. But uh, there we can see my guest on the right-hand side of the screen. Um, he is none other uh, than the the the, the current. Uh, BLW champion, uh, one half of the Southwest Wrestling Tag Team Champions, and uh, he is the 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 head coach, sorry, and the owner of Lions Den Pro. Uh, none other than Eddie Ryan. Uh, Eddie, how you doing, my friend? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing, Jonas? Not too bad. Uh, good to have you on board. Uh, this has uh, been a long time overdue getting you on the show. But uh, if anybody at home wants to get in touch with Eddie Ryan. The English Lion, of course, one half of the Southwest Wrestling Tag Team Champions. Uh, you can do just uh, send us through your questions using your chosen device. They'll ping through to us and we'll do our very best to answer every question live on air. And we've had a few questions come through already. So that's absolutely fantastic. The first thing I want to bring up, though, uh, Eddie, is this one here. The BLW and the UPW uh, Championship Gold. Uh, so congratulations. I think that happened maybe just over a week ago, two weekends ago. Um, and I think you said in one of your social posts that that was um, eight years in the making, an eight-year journey uh, to get to those championships. Uh, but tell us about those two championships and, and kind of, in a nutshell, what, what type of journey it took to get there for yourself. So... Uh, when I first started breaking out, UPW is one of the main companies that gave me an opportunity to like break out, give me a platform to start showing what I can do. So as I think from my diary, I'm pretty sure 2014-15 uh, was about when I debuted. Um, Big League Wrestling holds a special place for me purely because that was the place where I had my favorite storyline, which was with Chris Andrews. And for the people in that area, they'll know exactly what that was. It built for a year as an amazing payoff. And so so to get to the point where finally I actually get to represent the company as their champion, um, amalgamated as the undisputed champion, uh, it meant a lot to me, even if it was a, a last minute thing. Obviously, Adam Maxted wasn't able to make it back over from uh, where he's working. And I think yeah. Marbella, I think he is. Um, but, you know, give me an opportunity. I've proven time and time again that I'll smash it out of the park. 
Absolutely. And as you said, two championships um, that you've been striving for for a little while now, and you finally managed to get your hands on them, uh, albeit slightly unexpected, slightly last minute, uh, but you have been a regular for those uh, companies for many years, as you said, striving for those uh, championships for eight years plus. Uh, what, what what does it mean to you on a personal level to, to finally uh, get those goals, get those straps? Um, and uh, like I say, professionally, I know that uh, wrestlers kind of think that championships are props in, in some companies, but uh, for yourself, I'm sure that's different, isn't it? I've always taken great pride when a promoter or a company wants to put you as their top top guy. Most companies want to put someone there that either helps bring people in or helps bring people in to watch their butts get kicked. So yeah. either way, it's, it's um, you know, like a show of respect in your work that, you know, that you're valued, that you're someone important to them, and they see you as someone that can carry their, their company and be a flag a, a flagship for it and represent yeah. it and make sure that you know you're you're what they want the fans to see when when they associate you know a champion with their company congratulations just going to bring up that picture one more time uh two fantastic looking belts there uh, very much deserved and we're going to be talking about many more of your accomplishments many more of your championships during the course of this interview um, but uh, first of all let's talk a bit about this and this is something you're very very passionate about Lions Den Pro uh, in Plymouth mm -hmm. uh, you're going to be the head coach uh, the head trainer of Lions Den Pro um, in your hometown of Plymouth um, now this is um, a bit of news that only broke uh, a little over a week, maybe two weeks ago, that the training school uh, formally being announced on your socials and on Lions Den Pro socials as well. Um, but uh, exciting news. When did you first um, come up with the, the, the vision and the idea for wanting to start your own training school in your local area? Uh, it really sort of started during lockdown, to be honest. Um, I was based in Swindon. Um, and in lockdown, I wanted to move back home. Uh, and being based back home, I knew that uh, I'd have a lot more time at home. And I always thought that there needed to be more training opportunities for people in the Southwest, because when I was coming through, I had to leave in order to get trained. And I know that shortly after I left, Joel Redman opened his DWA school not long afterwards. Um, but I always wanted to provide a good starting platform for people to go on and do better things with their career to get out there to give them that good like foundation to be able to get out with the rest of the UK scene because um, sometimes the the southwest can be a little bit of a bubble and it's good for them to sort of see more of what the UK scene is and have a bit more of a taste for it so that when they get out there into other promotions they know exactly what is expected of them and how to do and succeed very well out there. And when are we likely to have the doors open to Lions and Pro? Do you have an open date? I don't think the doors have already opened yet, but do you have a, an open date in mind, So, So we have the soft open on the 1st of June, which is... Uh, I was taking training for some guys down here, but it was part of uh, you know, like a judo club, really. There was no ring or anything like that. And slowly the parts started to fall together. So like an opportunity for a ring came up and an opportunity for a venue started to come together. And so initially, because I'm still obviously concentrating on my own career, I didn't know how much time I'd be able to commit to it. But I found that the more I've done 
training with some of the guys, I've stayed really on top of my own stuff. And, you know, that's me 15 years in, like, I'm still learning, I'm still improving and getting in a ring once, twice, three times a week is, you know, as you get older, you, you kind of want to stay on top of this stuff because you're, you know, when you're in your 20s, you recover, you know, like you're invincible and stuff, you know, uh, once you start hitting your 30s and into your late 30s, you need to really, you know, stay on top of stuff, keep yourself moving, you know, keep all the cogs wearing, just, you know, you, you, you take your foot off and you're almost, you go, you go a little rusty. So as I say, like opportunities started to come together and it was like, oh, okay, let's go for it. So as I say, we have technically opened but it was kind of just an opportunity for the guys that I was helping train down here anyway, uh, sort of get in there. Cause a lot of them have been traveling up to new wave and I thank those guys uh, massively for welcoming them and doing such a great job with them. Um, yeah. Obviously traveling up to Newport once a week has been, um, you know, challenging, expensive, you know, it shows some, some commitment for them to do it every week. Um, but just getting them in the ring down here and obviously they get in, get in the ring a couple of times, three times a week um, has been rewarding. And it's just really people are inquiring now. And so now I'm starting to get people on board ready for first of July open. There's a couple of people coming in to try sessions to see if they want to give it a go from the first of July. So, so it is kind of open, but first of July, it will be properly open. But if anyone is interested or wants to come down and try a session, um, let me know and we can get you booked in. And then if, if it's something you really want to commit to, because I want people who are committed to this, it's not a part-time thing for me. Uh, I was full-time for, for two years. And I just think that if you're going to do it, you should do it. There's no maybe, or maybe I'll just give it a little go. You know, it's all in or not in, because you're not going to succeed if you're not all in. Absolutely. We'll talk more about the specific classes, days you're open and contact details in a moment. Uh, just to bring up a couple more pictures. And my slides are reacting very slow today, but uh, here we go. OK, the pictures will come. The pictures will come. Uh, we've got to talk about Country Big and uh, he's your support coach. Uh, your number two at Lions Den Pro. Tell us a bit about him, because I know that he's been in the business probably roughly the same length of time that you have. I think you've said in one of your social posts that between the two of you, you've got about 30 years experience in the business. So, you know, Josh is uh, is no newbie, but he's been in the business for more than 10 years, close to 15 years. Very experienced. Somebody you know very well. Somebody you trust an awful lot, obviously. Tell us a bit about your, your background, your relationship with Josh and why you've decided to bring him on board as your number two. So, as I said, when I left to go to Swindon to train at 4FW, Josh was very young when he started. He started training with Joel Redman at the Exeter uh, Training School DWA. So, I, I, don't, I can't tell you exactly how old Josh was. I want to say, like, he was about 14 or something when he first started training. And, as I, you know, I may, I'd say maybe he's about six months behind me. Um, but anyone who's been trained by Joel Redman can only be good. I mean, let's look yeah. at you know, the all-star wrestling training school at the moment. Look at some of the talents that are coming out of there, and some of them are only six months, 12 months in. You know, it's incredible, really. Yeah. Josh was one of the original trainees, along with, like, PJ Jones and Nick Riley, um, who came through with Joel. And so Josh has been trained very, very well. He's been, you know, working away for a long time. He's someone who's, in my opinion, very underrated, gets overlooked a little bit because he doesn't shout about, himself all that much and that's something that i hope with him being involved with the training school people start to see a lot more of and not just that he starts to believe in his own ability and his confidence and 
you know, that will start to come up too, because, you know, at the end of the day, this is, this, this is you putting yourself out there and you have to believe that you are good enough. And as, as you've said there, I trust him. He's someone that is respected a lot here in the Southwest. And he's someone that a lot of people quietly want to work with because they see him work and they go, this guy's actually really good. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I want to, you know, one, I don't want to be at the training school every day of the week. I have my own life. I need to get to the gym. I have work. I have shows. I have other commitments that I need to commit to. So I need someone to help back me up, take, but not just back me up, have something else to offer. Uh, if that makes sense, you know, like I, I can take, I can take every session, but at the end of the day, what that will do is that will create little cookie cutter clones of me. And that's not what I want to do. I want to give people a good foundation and good fundamentals, um, but also give them other dynamics of the business, which is, you know, why I offer different classes, but Josh will add something slightly different to what I can bring to it, you know? And so we start to round people off a little bit and then when they go away, they learn from other people and they start to become better performers that way. Absolutely. And uh, that's, a, I think that's uh, one of the most recent pictures of the unit as it stands, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so obviously you've got the ring set up there. You've got some training mats closer to the camera. Um, so, I mean, I'm guessing that there's more to the facilities, um, but uh, t tell us a bit about the facilities and uh, what you have there on offer for the trainees then, Eddie. Okay, so we've got a professionally sprung uh, wrestling ring. Um, good padding, good for bumps because, you know, like if you go in and you're doing bump drills, you know, it takes your toll on your body. Trust me, I did a lot of bumping when I first started. So if I'm going to ask people to bump, let's look after them. Um, so yes, yeah, so we have the 16 foot ring. Uh, then we have the 25 meter squared matted area so that we can utilize extra space. So when the ring is used, we're not just having people standing around. Um, we have um, wrestle boards, which are press up boards, which is something that I used when uh, I was in Japan. They're incredible for like fitness. Um, we have, you know, general fitness equipment like dumbbells, kettlebells, uh, skipping ropes, battle ropes, uh, all that sort of stuff. There are showers and toilets facilities on site uh you know cctv parking lockers to secure things because i am someone that believes that mobile phones can massively distract you so yeah. i don't like having outside shoes in the dojo and i don't like having mobile phones in the dojo because what you tend to find is when i break for something so maybe we run a drill and we break people go to their bags have a drink and pick up their mobile phones and we lose that distract we, we just lose their attention so yeah. what i want is all of that outside so that I get their 100% attention all of the time so that we maximize that time that we're in there to get better as performers. And there's no, you know, no excuses, no distractions. Just give me your attention, give me your focus, and I will do my best to make you a better wrestler every time you step in there with me. Absolutely. And uh, now my slides are back up to full speed. This this is a list of the, the classes. And I just get rid of the little ticker at the bottom there. Run us through the classes and, and the prices, because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people watching this that are going to be interested. Uh, so tell us about, because you mentioned that it is pretty much a full-time dojo, a full-time school, uh, certainly Monday to Friday. But talk us through the different classes then, Eddie. Okay. So first of all, what I want to cover is that there'll be people there will be like, well, why aren't there classes at the weekend? Well, well, firstly, I'm hoping that as performers, 
and me still being an active wrestler, I'm going to be away at weekends. And I'm hoping that people will also start to pick up bookings at weekends too. So I don't want to commit to training that I'm then going to have to cancel or get covered and things like that. So that's why there are no weekend things. There can be sessions that we can put in at weekends if everyone's free and we want a little bit extra ring time. And on top of that, if I haven't got a show on a particular day, you know, I have a life too and I want to be able to do things and get away and have a break too because I can't just be always wrestling all the yeah. way through because it just burns you out. So so I just wanted to get that in there before people are like, well, you know, shouldn't you be running training on Saturday or Sunday? Well, no, because I'm hoping that I've trained you well enough you go and get bookings along with me also being out still taking bookings. Um, Absolutely. But first of all, uh, Mondays wrestle well. Um, so that is going to be a class taken by someone from the Southwest called Joey Savin. It's something that's really close to his heart. Um, and it's something that focuses on helping people and supporting people that have mental health disorders, you know, like suffer with depression, anxiety, that help get them back into something, you know, like fitness that, that they can focus on and help improve confidences and things. Um, so that's not something that's going to be offered to trainees via me per se. It'll be all organized through him and his and his um, own separate thing where people can contact that because I've had a few people have actually asked about that and so he's going to be starting to run those classes very soon. Um, also, Mondays, if you've had a heavy weekend of wrestling, you kind of need a break on that day, you know, and so let's not get people back in the dojo and breaking them down a little bit, just a little bit of rest and recovery. So we've got something great on that Monday whilst people are taking days off too. So more on that will be coming up very soon. Um, Tuesdays, that is the advanced class with Josh. So that's where, you know, Josh is out there at the moment doing uh, classes with those guys, six, nine, um, taking them through their stuff. Wednesdays, so I do a two hour beginners class because what I don't want to do is keep people stuck in beginners class. What I want to do is teach people the fundamentals, bumping, running the ropes, good footwork, good timing, stuff that you can pick up maybe in a few months of you know basic beginners classes. Um, and then what I want to do is exactly how I was trained and that's thrown in at the deep end, sink or swim, you know, because the only way you get better is by working with better people. So instead of having people who are all beginners working together, you're only going to get as good as the best person in that class. So I want those people to then go in with the advanced people and just run up to speed, uh, if that makes sense. You know, yeah. you know that's how I was trained. Um, you know, and there are some people that really thrive in that environment and there'll be some people that maybe not as much, but that's something that we can look at at the time. But I think that people really do develop better that way. So that's why I don't want to offer too much in the way of beginners, because as I say, there are some training schools that just keep people in beginner class for years and it just feels a little bad that they're not developing on. And so I want to, okay, you, you know how to hit the ropes, you know how to take a bump. Now let's see if you can get onto the next level. Um, and that's what I wanted to do there. And that is followed on a Wednesday, a two hour session. Now that's a rotating session. That's an advanced class. And what that does is, you know, we'll have about four or five Wednesdays in a month and each Wednesday will be something slightly different. So that'll be your promo class where we bring people in, um, uh, promo class, character development class, we'll do match structure. So we'll bring up a couple of matches and we'll break down the matches and how, you know, like how to structure matches, what things make sense where, um, uh, maybe we'll do, cause I've had quite a few, uh, uh females, uh, contact to do things. So I might do an all women's class because I know they're unpopular, 
and I know they're popular because it can be quite intimidating when you have uh, a male dominated class it kind of it's good to get all of the girls together and you tend to see a lot of their confidences come up because they're not so intimidated or you know because some of the guys can be big blokes it can be quite intimidating with all the aggression and stuff and it's good to just have a separate thing for that so really the Wednesdays are just a rotating class and every month we'll hit something slightly different to keep on top of stuff um and there'll be people that come in there'll be an amateur wrestling class where one of the guys that I first started working out with when I was getting into wrestling he did a lot of MMA training uh he did a lot of seminars and stuff with people like Ken Shamrock and Tito Ortiz the original like UFC days and he went out to the states to do seminars and stuff and he doesn't do so much now because he's a dad he's kind of put that to the by the by but I think amateur wrestling is something fantastic to learn it's not something that is taught a lot in this country obviously America and Japan it's a lot more prevalent and so I think stuff like that is good for footwork positioning and just actually learning the sport of wrestling which I think sometimes gets a bit overlooked um so that is the Wednesdays Thursdays are advanced class with me that's my advanced class of six till nine um I always you know we always me and Josh always talk make sure we don't cover the same things um so we just give make sure we give them slightly different things in each class so that they're not just covering the same stuff over and over again although reps are good reps 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 that's you know that's how you get better but let's not go over the same stuff twice in a week let's give them one thing to work on a second thing to work on um and then fridays my favorite one which uh instills a bit of dread in some of my trainees is a sweat lodge as it's affectionately known um so sweat lodge is uh some stuff taken from the performance center uh mixed with some horrific training drills and exercises that i did in my time in japan just meshed together and it's an hour and 15 minutes of just you know sweating everything you have out just busting your butt and you know trying to make your fitness better for in the ring and that's all it's designed for entirely just it's it's work on some fitness let's work on some you know general core like uh, cardio and stuff for for in ring and just hitting different muscle groups because sometimes you know if people are struggling getting into wrestling i know i was when i was one of them like things like press-ups and squats were really hard for me and it's just getting those reps in and just making them better athletes with it and you know everyone that does it they 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 kind of regret turning up when they're doing it and then by the end of it when they're drenched in sweat and lying dead on the canvas (laughs) they're grateful that they did it because it's made them better you know and that's like the test of it i I do it with the guys, everything on that list. If I'm there for training, I'm doing it with you. I don't, I don't think as an active wrestler, I, uh, and there are some coaches out there that just stand outside and just point and dictate and tell you what to do. I need to show you, I will never put anyone through something that I won't do myself. Um, and so I'm with them every step of the way. So when they look at me and say, why do you hate us? It's well, I must hate myself because I'm here with you guys. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Going to bring up another slide here. And this has got some contact details. Now, it's uh, quite small at the bottom there. But um, uh, tell us how we can best get in touch with you or any member of the team uh, to uh, to stress our interest in becoming a, a trainee at Lions Den Pro. So um, easiest ways to... <clears throat> contact me or us so the the pages you can find um you can find us on facebook as lions den pro plymouth the pages on there you can find us um lions den pro plym on instagram they have you you can just send us a message on there or the email is attached to that too or if you would prefer if you have me on facebook you could just add me on facebook i have a profile and not a page i just find that if i have a page 
people will just try and find me on Facebook anyway and add me. So I just keep the one thing. Um, and you can also find me on Instagram on English Lion One. Any Absolutely. of those platforms, you can get hold of me. Uh, I run the pages anyway, so you'll get me anyway. So um, any, anywhere there, I've as I say, like uh, just this week, I've already had three people come along want to sign up for training. So get in touch. I will get back to you as soon as I can. Obviously, I've got things to do, but as soon as I can get on social media, I will get back to you as soon as I can and we'll arrange for you to come on down. Absolutely. So as Eddie mentioned, uh, all of the uh, socials for both Eddie and Lions Den Pro are scrolling along the bottom of the screen. They will also be in the description to this podcast. Uh, so just click on that and uh, get in touch if you uh, have any interest in being trained by one of the very best in the country. Um, a few people that have reached out and got in touch. Now his name won't pop up, but uh, it is at the end there. Good evening, gentlemen. Uh, yours in sport, Marty Jones. So Marty Jones is watching us. UK legend, British legend. Uh, thank you, Marty. Had Marty on the show uh, last year and um, he, he's absolute legend and I will just get rid of this for a second because at the very bottom there you will see in partnership with Southwest Wrestling uh, which is a group yes. that I'm associated with as well and somebody that you have or a company that you have a, a long association with um, tell us a bit about um, the association with Southwest Wrestling in conjunction with Lions Den Pro uh, so uh, I first met Pete, uh, Pete Bainbridge, who runs Southwest Wrestling in 2018, and it was just purely by chance. Uh, I had the email from WWE with regards to the NXT UK stuff, and they were like, because it, it was only late September when, yeah, about mid to late September when they were like, okay, we'd like to have you involved. And it was the middle of October when there's the actual the actual uh, event that I was going to be a part of. So I'm like, okay, I need to get new gear. I need to get myself up, up to speed and everything like that. So um, my new gear came and Pete was running a show in Gloucester and the guy who used to take my promo pictures was doing the photography for the event. So I messaged him and he said, there's loads of space at the venue. Message Pete and see if uh, you can come along and we can do some promo pictures. So messaged Pete and he said, that's fine. And I'd never spoken to him before. It was one of his first like shows that he'd ever run. Uh, so I came on up. And I was just in the back corner out the way. Seb had his stuff set up. Seb's incredible. Wrestlography, incredible uh, photographer. I thank him for all of his work. And we were doing my stuff. And obviously, I'd got myself in good shape. I'm getting all pumped up. And I can see Pete in the corner of the doorway. And he's looking. And I'm getting myself ready. And I get more pictures done. And I've got all my brand new gear on ready for promo pictures and stuff, ready for the NXT UK tapings. And Pete sort of slides over. And he's like, since you're here, there's a guy that's no showed. Would you be on my show? And I'm like, well, I'm here, so I guess so. And he's like, I'll pay for your photos as a, as a thank you. There's not much money, you know. We're quite new and stuff. And so I thought, well, if you put this free promo pictures from them, yeah. well, I'm already here, you know. And there's some guys on the show that I know anyway. So you know, like it, it's not like I'm I'm going to wrestle someone that could potentially injure me. It's like, okay, that that works for me. That's absolutely fine. It's you know, a day out and had a good match and afterwards and I came back and <laughs> because Pete obviously wasn't so up to date with the UK wrestling scene at the time. He was still quite new to it. He was like, you're actually quite good. And I was like, well, thank you. Um, uh, and he was like, would you consider working for me more regularly? And so 100%, I want I want to work with any promoter who wants to work with me and showcase me is essentially it, you know, um, there's nothing worse than turning up to a show and you could just be anyone on the show. You know, it's it, you 
if, if it's not you, it could just be anyone else that could just be booked. I want to work with promotions and promoters that are interested in showcasing me and my ability and maximizing that. And I will do my best to make their shows as, as good as I can. And so from there is where our relationship started. And Pete has always been very thankful that I was associated with his company at a time when I could have very easily said no to him. Um, you know, like, I think he took that and he's definitely someone that I respect uh, yeah. just because he's obviously done the job before and he's like, I'm high in his books too. So if he ever has a question or he's like, what's this guy like or anything like that, he knows that if he calls me, I will give him an honest opinion. You know, that guy's good. Um, you know, that guy maybe needs a little bit more work or something like that. But he will always come to me and ask me an opinion on something because he knows I will 100% always just tell him I won't, I won't, you know, bullshit him or anything. Yeah. So that's where it started. And so when I was first saying about getting to school, like potentially starting a school, Pete knew that if he helped, he knew that he could help raise talent for his own shows down the line, if that makes sense, because he knew that I would train them very well. He obviously respects my ability and how I wrestle. So he wants people who, uh, he he wants people who he knows that I'm going to train and have them to a certain standard. So um, that's where it started. So really, the association is is that he helped um, help sponsor part of it by donating things. So like parts of the ring, like the boards and the turnbuckles and the pads. That's all stuff that he's donated, and he just wanted to help because if he helps, then it's only going to benefit him in the long run. So 100%. that's really what the association is. So, you know, again, thank you, Pete. Um, if you're watching or if this gets back to you, I appreciate everything you've done. You know, you're one of the people that, you know, without your help, this would have been a lot more difficult. So thank you. Yeah. Very much. Pete's a great guy. And he's given me plenty of opportunities as well. And I'm going to bring up this picture here. I'm not sure if this was uh, from your first or your second reign, but you are a, a two-time SWW champion. And if I'm not mistaken, were you their first ever champion? I don't think I was there first. Uh, I would need to check, but that picture was from my second run. I know that. Um, I will have to. I would have to check, but I was one of the one of the first. But I don't know if I was the first. I think. I think someone else had it before me, but yeah. I would have to check on that. I'm not sure. But it's become a very prestigious championship. Um, Southwest Wrestling in itself has become uh, one of the leading players on the UK scene. Uh, I know that, uh, you know, uh, at first hands, how big the promotion is, how, uh, uh, you know, how wide its catchment is and what a fantastic talent base it has as well. Um, but uh, looks like I've got nothing but respect for Southwest Wrestling, former two-time champion yourself. And you're also their current, as I mentioned, one half of the Southwest Wrestling Tag Team Champions R&R there. Uh, Redman and Ryan, of course, uh, and that was obviously from their Chooksbury show a month or so ago. Um, that does bring us to uh, one of our first questions, actually, and it was from uh, Darren Ewan, who sent me a question by a messenger a few days ago. Uh, what does it mean to team with somebody like Joel Redman? Now, Joel Redman is in a, a class, a category of his, of his own on the UK scene, uh, one of the best in uh, the UK, uh, some might say the world, but to be teaming with him, somebody you know, you've known Joel pretty much from day one one in your career, I would say, uh, but to be teaming with him um, 14, 15 years later and one half of the tag champs, that must be pretty special for you. hundred oh, percent. Um, I've got a lot to be thankful for, like a lot of people in the Southwest, to Joel Redmond, because if it wasn't for him, then I don't know how much of a path there would be for a lot of us. Um, 
so when I first started, I was training down in the Southwest. Um, basically it was a backyard training school in a school hall. And from the first training sessions I had he he came along because basically Phil Powers said that he'd sold a ring to some guys and he needed to make sure that they didn't injure themselves. Now I didn't know any better at the time I was at university. I went online and found a training school, uh, and went along to a few sessions and Joel was there very early on and he said to me, he took me to one side and just said, look, you could be good at this, but you can't stay here. You need to go to a better school than this. And so basically he gave me a few contacts and that's how I ended up at 4FW in Swindon. Um, but he's been someone that has driven the standard up of wrestler and wrestling in the Southwest and not just the Southwest in the whole country. Yeah, 100%. Um, and, you know, you got to, you got to remember that this man was one of well, one half of the very first NXT tag team champions because he was Dusty Rhodes' favorite wrestler. This is a person that when there were guys that needed to dust off some ring rust, like The Rock, they requested Joel Redman. Um, it just, he's a cut above. Uh, there's not many people in this, in Europe that I can see running rings around Joel at all. Like he set such a high bar and he's, someone that I think a lot of us want to earn the respect of. And so for me, he, as I say, like he's done a lot for me. He's, you know, when, when you're shit, he tells you you're shit, but he tells you how to not be shit. So yeah. like he has helped elevate our standard, um, you know, offered advice. He's done mentoring. He's someone like him and Doug Williams are two people that I've massively looked up to the whole time I've been coming up because as I say, like in terms of just the appearance and the work rate and everything, you should aspire to be at least that. Um, and so to finally get the opportunity, because we've wrestled each other a ton of times, um, to get the opportunity to actually just be a tag team is, has, has been fantastic. And I'm just hoping that we get to do um, a lot more, obviously with the SWW Tag Team Champions. Um, so let's just wait to see how many shows Pete's announced Pete announces and then let's roll them up let's get the tag teams in and let's, let's create some magic absolutely and uh, I, I want to bring up some pictures from uh, some highlights of yours over the last 12 months or so um, and uh, we'll talk a lot more about UK talent and the UK scene in particular um, but uh, mm -hmm. some people that you've wrestled over the last year Scott Garland there yeah. WWE legend he's been on my show as well an absolute class guy uh, Dirty Dango, formerly Fandango of WWE there. And uh, then, of course, at the back end of last year, Thomas Latimer. Um, and I think these were probably all within about six months of each other um, over the, the second half of 2022. Um, but uh, like I say, it's, it's, it's great when you're a top talent such as yourself that you always take to appear to get paired uh, with the biggest import or the big names that come around. But uh, um, they look like a, a lot of fun to be in the ring with and uh, not necessarily a learning experience, but uh, a fun experience at that. They're all learning experiences, don't get me wrong. But yeah, just just to start with there, obviously, Scotty Too Hotty, Scott Garland. He was someone that I watched in the like the height of my fan, you know, the Attitude Era. Yeah. Which is, you know, people my age is exactly exactly when we all watched. You know, I grew up watching the 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 original era, so I went, you know, went from Hogan to Brett, and everyone in that Attitude Era was an absolute superstar. So when the opportunity came up and they said, okay, you're going to be working with Scotty. It's one of those moments where you're like, 
imagine telling 14, 15 year old me that <laughs> 20 years down the line, you're going to be, you're going to be working this guy. So it's, it's like at some points, you know, like when you're watching them do the entrance and everything, you're like, you have, you have your little Marky moment and then <clears> you put your professional face back on and you game face on. Yeah. Cause you, cause you obviously don't want to disappoint them too. Cause you know, I guess, you know, I 100% get that the fans have come to see them, but I don't want to just be the other guy. Do you know what I mean? I want yeah. to showcase myself whilst the spotlight is on us. So it's, as a, you know, much like when promoters want to make you a champion, if they're putting you in the ring with someone like that, it's because, one, they know you're going to look after that person, and two, they know that you can deliver, you know, which is why, you know, historically when I've worked other people in the past, like uh, Drew McIntyre or um, Bob Holly and stuff, I always took those as one learning experiences, but two, that pe people have faith and trust in me to, you know, not shit the bed. So, so yeah, working Scotty to Hottie was fantastic. You know, we still, still in contact and uh, have him on socials and stuff. He's definitely someone that my guys could learn a lot from in terms of a seminar. Cause he's someone that, basically developed a silly gimmick to get over and 20 years down the line is still over so if there's anyone that can teach you about character work or getting over the crowd it's going to be someone like him yeah so, he's a hell of a coach in his own right as well oh yeah he's obviously did stuff with the nxt system and stuff yeah. so you know they don't they don't have people that are bad at that in there um dango wonderful man we actually had a big chat before because it turns out that when i went to america i was in all of his old stomping grounds you know, like, so we were talking about all these guys that he knew and that was pretty cool. Um, but again, someone that, you know, you get in the ring and you're just like, yeah, you, you know exactly what you're doing. You're a cut above. And wonderful guy. Lovely. Um, and he's and then, big as well. He, I mean, what, what, you're six, six, two. <laughs> he must be yeah. six, four, six, five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm hoping he's on tiptoes, but I don't think he is. <laughs> um, but yeah. And, you know, to, uh, like Tom, Bram uh someone again much like joel who's just you know a whole nother level the way that he works he moves he's someone that i've always looked up to too you know he's always been someone that uh brings the whole package you know he, he always looks great but he doesn't just look great and stand still he, you know like if you ever watch him work he's just constant perpetual motion there's no wasted motion he's always moving he's always doing something he's intense but he's a lovely guy and I'm so happy because there was a period of time around about 2016 where, you know, like he'll tell you himself and I'm sure that he has that, you know, if you go out and, and, and watch podcasts and things like that, he, yeah. you know, he, he hit rock bottom for a, a while. And um, I'm so glad that, he, you know, he managed to pull the nose up. He, he kicked all the silly stuff that was happening. And, yeah. you know, when, when I saw him that time at exposure, I just, he had completely changed and it was so good to see him so happy because it was so sad before when he, you know, he was stuff was getting him down before, but wonderful bloke, wonderful, wonderful man. Absolutely. And a quick picture of yourself and Scotty there backstage. Um, but mm -hmm. I know that um, Scotty and, uh, and, and Dango certainly in WWE, they, they kind of had a bit of a, bit of a dance gimmick going on. Obviously uh, Dango was the ballroom dancer and uh, Scotty too hot. He had the two cool dance, which he's done many times over here in the UK. Did, did they get you involved in any dancing at all in the ring during your matches, Eddie? Uh, Cause I know you, um, I don't know, you might be uh, pretty, pretty sweet, have some sweet moves, but uh, <laughs> did, did you get to demonstrate any of them uh, with Scotty um, too hot or Dango? 
not Dango, no. He uh, he had his, his ballroom dancers with him. But Scotty, Fair got, uh, he tried to get me to do the worm. Let's uh, just say that it didn't go very well. Uh, <laughs> it's not something I'd ever attempt. Like, <laughs> and I don't think, based on that experience, I'll ever try again. But but a lot of fun. Again, you know, 15-year-old me, I'm at, you know, yeah. tell, tell, tell him that, you know, you might do the worm. It's got you too hot in the ring one day. He'd be like, but it happened. It'll be out there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to rewind a little bit now. And just coming out of lockdown, second half of 2021, and, and one individual you know very, very well, pretty much from day day zero, uh, but at the back end of 2021, JD Knight. And you had a series mm-hmm. of matches with JD. And I think it was for Southwest Wrestling again. Um, and mm-hmm. th- this series of matches culminated in a, in a chain match, I believe, between the two of you. Um, but uh, tell us a bit about that because, I mean, he's another one that you've got a, a, a long-standing professional wrestling relationship with. Um, I think he may well have been involved in, in your training back in the day in 4FW. Uh, but then to get that series of matches with him straight out of lockdown uh, to kind of cap off the, you know, the, the first five or six months of 2021 and then finishing with that huge gimmick match. Uh, how was that for you? Um, JD is one of the most underrated performers in this country. Um, and as you say, yes, uh, my trainers were David Sharp and JD Knight. And Dave was really good at the technical wrestling part. JD was really good at match psychology and piecing together stories and stuff. So I will always say, you know, like the guys that I came up with, your Nick Riley's and your Charlie Sterling's and people like that, they can do some incredible things that I just cannot do. Uh, The one thing I'm good at doing is telling stories in the ring. That's the bit that I enjoy the most. And I put an attribute that down to the training that I got from JD Knight. Um, JD, I think... If I was to get my diary out and count, I've probably wrestled JD probably about 150, 200 times, I bet. You know, back when I first started, he was taking me out to shows. I was just basically that that extra guy that you see. And when someone pulls out the show, you step in and stuff like that. And for that first year, year and a half, I probably wrestled him, I don't know, like 30, 40 times just in that time frame alone. And then, I don't know, just over the years when people are stumped, they just pair us back together and he's someone I can probably wrestle with my eyes closed but we can always make it different and it never gets boring it never gets samey he's just someone that I enjoy working with it's easy um and so when we came out of lockdown like I won't lie my confidence was at an all-time low when I came out of lockdown to the point where there was you know if you ask a few of my friends I almost didn't come back to wrestling at the end of 2020. I, I very almost just put the boots in the cupboard and just was going to let leave it be. So, why um, was that? Eddie? Eventually, why? Um, yeah, I don't know. Just I think after 2018 and that 2018 was my peak year. Obviously, the five star stuff, which while uh, obviously didn't go to plan in terms of the company, was mm. a bit of a springboard for me i got to wrestle a lot of people a lot of good people and i got a lot of attention and if it wasn't for that then i'm very sure the wwe stuff wouldn't have come up either so obviously 2018 started with that and then the end of 2018 did the wwe nxt uk stuff and we were mm. in contact a bit with that and then right at the beginning of was right either right at the end of 2018 or right at the beginning of 2019 i was wrestling on a show 
and some some guy gave me a body slam and put me all hips into the ring and immediately my leg just went completely numb and this was you know i was full-time at the time and i just like we do in wrestling we persevere on and so every week it would just go again and again and again and i won't lie that lockdown was a saving grace for me because if that hadn't come along i probably would have just kept whacking myself into the ground but um just in lockdown i was based in swindon on my own i was living in a house share went back to my job not just full time but i was working 70 hour weeks right and my mental health kind of just hit a hit an absolute rock bottom you know i was on my yeah. own i couldn't move back to plymouth because uh my mum is uh, a care a care worker so i couldn't move back in with her um because i had nowhere else to move into in plymouth and she because she obviously worked with uh, vulnerable people she couldn't have mm. people in that house because of the laws and stuff so i was just stuck in swindon on my own and it kind of just sort of drove me insane a little bit you know just i was used to being out every weekend going to the gym all these things that you take for granted and now it's all taken away so my mental health took a massive hit and i got really out of shape and i'm always someone that has taken pride in my appearance so right at the back end of 2020 and early 2021 i just i was a bit angry that i'd had a year year and a half of prime good years taken away from me because it was because when i did nxt i was 32 so you know i lost some of my good years which i was upset about because you know i was about ready to like kick on and really drive forward yeah. and all that sort of stuff um as i say like wwe are in contact with um you know ideas and stuff and all that all those sort of things then the injury came along so like rehab it and then as soon as lockdown happened basically it just all shut down and then I didn't hear from them again. So it's very difficult when you're a performer, when you're starting to get some momentum and some traction, and then it all just kind of goes away because you're kind, you're just kind of left wondering, what do I do now? And there's there's certain people that are really good at reinventing themselves and things like that. That's not my strength. And so, um, you know, it was good to finally get some momentum and feel like I was getting somewhere and then to have it all taken away and everything just kind of bottomed out um and so uh so in early 2021 i just kind of worried that maybe i passed it by uh i don't know just i just thought that is it even worth trying to come back as i say like you just kind of feel like the not the world is against you but like yeah you just kind of sometimes the uphill battle you look at it and you're just like shall i just leave it be and just leave stuff alone so you know eventually you start getting out and doing more matches and as i say working people like joel and you know like nikki riley and charlie and then people like jd yeah you start getting your confidence back and you know this job is all about confidence and if you lose your <clears> confidence <throat> you can tell immediately in front of a crowd if a performer has confidence or if they don't um and so i finally started to get that back and i you know as performers and if there are any guys who are wrestling that uh, do wrestling that are watching this right now you will 100 percent relate to you love wrestling and you hate wrestling because there are just some times where you know you couldn't be any more in love with it and there are some times where it's just you just fall out of love with it for a period of time and you just have to like refresh restart and then you find your love for it again and it just sort of goes in circles you know and um it was just at that time where i was just like I just fell out of love with wrestling a little bit and then you start to just that bug is always in you 
and then yeah. you just start getting some momentum again and then you just fall back in love with wrestling again it's just that love hate relationship it just keeps absolutely and as we touched on earlier on, you've been in the business 15 years, um, but uh, 2023, Eddie, you know, we've spoken about some highlights over the last 12 months and certainly coming out of lockdown has been uh, has been several high points for you. But uh, physically, mentally, athletically, um, how do you feel as an overall performer uh, in June 2023? Uh, I, I feel good, if I'm honest. Like, I'm not going to lie, you know, like I've wrestled a lot in my career um, and there are little niggles and stuff, you know, the, the back aches a little bit, the knees are a bit sore, um, but I feel good. I feel better than I have done in a long time, you know, like getting in the ring with some of these guys who are in their twenties and stuff and moving around and things. I, I feel good, you know, I'm back in a good shape. Um, you know, I, it's difficult to look at the pictures of yourself when you're in your, like your twenties and your early thirties because you're trying to judge yourself against the standard that's quite difficult to get back to. And so I'm trying my best to not judge myself based on those peak years, if that makes sense. You know, like yeah. I know I'm not in bad shape at all. I just know that I'm not going to be necessarily in that kind of shape again, but I just look for other ways to, you know, maybe if I can't be that again, maybe I could be something else again. So I'm just working on my own fitness and, you know, flexibility i stretch a lot more guys if you're young and if you're wrestling please stretch more that's the one bit of advice i can give you honestly stretch 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 um you know so getting in there i feel good you know mentally i feel a lot better there's a lot more balance in my life you know i think yeah. when i was driving forward i think one of the problems and i think a lot of guys can get stuck in this is that we're out there and we're just driving forward and driving forward and not knowing what the end goal is. And there's no finish line. If that makes sense, you're always just going forward and forward. And sometimes you just kind of have to take a stop and reflect on what you've done because that's kind of what, um, training some of these guys, I say things and they, you realize that they would kill to have done some of the things that you've done. And you have to sort of take stock of that and be like, okay, I've, done a lot in my career um and i should um you know be proud of what i've done and, and take stock of that so there's a lot more balance in my life i'm not constantly just 100 percent at the wall for wrestling just drive 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 or in the gym just you know breaking myself down so i can barely walk at the end of a, a session and stuff you know there's a lot more balance it's a lot more healthy but <clears throat> i i think this is probably one of the best that i felt in a really long time in terms of everything so um yeah good at the moment thank you yeah i think a lot of us would agree with that especially anybody that's seen you in action over the last 12 months for sure um now uh, tell us about some of your your early work we obviously spoke about um uh starting training and getting into 4fw of course uh, jd and dave sharp um but then uh, who who's who's <laughs> this guy here um it, it looks vaguely familiar to somebody uh, just to my right there but uh, that was one yeah. of your earlier incarnations wasn't it it was so really it wasn't my idea so anyone who can google me will know that my real name is in fact spanish and that's because my dad and his side of the family are all spanish um but you can't really go out in front of a crowd and call yourself the english lion when your last name is spanish um so back then dave my trainer was like well, 
if you've got Spanish heritage, this makes you unique because there's a whole country full of British people and this makes you Spanish. And I'm like, well, that's great and all, but I don't speak Spanish. But you kind of trust your trainer, you listen to them and, you know, you go with it. And I did that for, it was up until just before I went to America. So about two-ish years, I did that. And it was very much forced, you know, like, in terms of the look, like, I love the Matador's jacket and all that sort yeah. of stuff. And don't get me wrong, like, my family heritage, I'm very proud of. Like, you know, you can see I'm wearing a, a Plymouth shirt. I'm a proud Plymouthian. Um, but my dad's side of the family um, are all proud Valencians. So the, I, I love my last name. Um, and I wanted to respect that. But it just came to a point that when you start to find your feet as, as a performer, you're like, this isn't me because I'm not 100% this. And I, it's just based entirely on a characteristic that isn't mine. I'm I'm not Spanish. I'm not, you know, I don't speak Spanish. I just happen to be in a family tree where my dad is Spanish. Um, so that was the perfect time for me when I went to America because obviously they've got a high Hispanic population. Let's not go there and be found out. So that was when I eventually changed over to the English Lion Eddie Ryan. Absolutely. But, yeah, uh... I love the gear. Love the gear. It uh, certainly it's is great. a bit of a throwback. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to talk about your first year because I've got some names I'm going to roll off here. And within your first year, uh, you, you worked Joel, uh, Mark Haskins, yeah. Doug Williams, JD Knight, mm -hmm. RJ Singh, amongst many others. Mm -hmm. uh, you won a number one contenders battle royal and you were thrown into the 4FW title picture all within your first 12 months, if my research is mm -hmm. correct. So um, uh, for a new wrestler, and I know that some of them names were probably only a few years in themselves, um, but that that's uh, no mean feats, to be honest with you, and certainly a steep learning curve for yourself. A hundred percent. And I always work better under pressure. I like being thrown in a defender. I like to be tested, you know. So um, I appreciate what Dave and James were doing for me at the time. But yeah, when I look back and see what those names actually mean now, and again, like, oh yeah, my first few matches were against, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so. Yeah. Uh, it's just crazy. But yeah, Joel... I think I think I wrestled Doug, Doug Williams after about a year. I think it was in that battle royal. Um, yeah, my first proper match was like a ladder match with Mark Haskins and Mark Sloan and Wade Fitzgerald. Like, it is crazy to think of the talent, which at the time, you know, they were up and coming people themselves. Yeah, so, sure. You know, they were like four or five years in at that time. So it's it's crazy, but also it's good because if you want to get good, you've got to work with good people, you know? So it's yeah. great that I was thrown in with it. And don't get me wrong. I was no way near ready physically or mentally to wrestle those people. But again, the, the matches that aren't listed there, I was wrestling people like James Mason and mm. uh, a guy called Kid Cool and a lot of all-star guys in that time too, on the camps and on the Butlin shows who I was learning. Again, I was just the broom and they were just working around me. Um, and I never lose sight of that. And I learned so much just being that broom, being moved around and stuff. And then when you sort of sit back and you sort of absorb what was happening, you know, I wanted, you know, I started a little later than other people. I was nearly 23 when I started. So I wanted to just be on the fast track and just get me good as soon as possible and just chuck me in with whoever you, that you need to do in order to do that. And I'll just do my best. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it's an incredible list of people just in the first year alone.
Absolutely. And uh, I mean, you mentioned working the camps and I know that uh, that's a, a grind in itself and a steep learning curve and the, the reps of doing, you know, dozens of matches, uh, possibly on a weekly basis. But in your second year, I think you took your first uh, venture outside of the UK to Germany. Um, and that mm -hmm. same year, you also went over to the States uh, on the East Coast. You mentioned it earlier uh, when you were talking to Dango about uh, uh, going uh, across similar paths to what he traveled uh, when he was over in, uh, obviously, um, the, the East Coast, um, but to get an opportunity to to wrestle over in the states, uh, probably only what, two years in, uh, that's a great opportunity. Once again, another fantastic learning experience. How did that opportunity come about, then, Eddie? So, Four uh, FW used to bring guys over for like six weeks, twelve weeks, um, and just have people over just to you know all the Americans and all the Japanese guys want to come to this country so they can learn. And so Dave was one of those people that would facilitate that. And so we had a guy come over who, uh, whose wrestling name is John Walters. He was an ROH. Uh, he en ended up uh, towards the latter part of his career wrestling as RJ Brewer. But right. he was a pure champion for ROH um, and had a few matches with Doug. But he wanted to come to the UK and really sort of spend some time here. And he came over and stayed. And as a thank you, he said to Dave, that if any of his guys wanted to go to the US and get to see a different side to wrestling, then just let him know and he would have them over there and i've always uh again being a, a proud plamodian always wanted to go to the new england part of america and see where their history kind of started from where you know the the plymouth rock and and how the pilgrims all sort of you know went off that way i'm i love boston i love all of that like new new england area so the idea of me going to learn how to wrestle better and go and see all this amazing history and stuff too was like Yes, please. I'll do that. And so John was just like, tell me when you're coming over and you can come stay with me. So uh, at the time, you know, the, the UK wrestling scene at the time was very shallow. You know, like if you weren't booked on the all star shows, which were rock solid with talent, just absolutely chocker. I wasn't getting on any of those. Uh, you know, like I'd pick up the odd one here and there and, you know, the camps and things like that. But there was just no way. in. so I thought rather than just sitting on my butt and doing nothing, let's go over there like much like college or uni i'm going to invest in myself and yeah. go and do something rather than not do anything at all so i bought a flight to boston <clears throat> and john paid for the rest like as in just housed me and just helped feed me and things uh i went to the new england pro wrestling academy which is the old killer kowalski school uh and john helped train there and so i would do some stuff with him but he'd also get me booked on shows too and just those experiences are worth it alone. You know, like I had a three day tour with a sober Jake Roberts who took a liking to me and was just having me follow him around everywhere. And he was just instilling me with knowledge, you know, like I'm on shows with people like, you know, like Paul Bearer and Carlito and Tony Atlas and Hacksaw Jim Duggan, um, Tommaso Ciampa, um, Eddie Edwards, like a road dog just before he became a road agent and stuff, yeah. X-Park, like, all Billy got all these guys who had all of this knowledge and if I hadn't have gone I wouldn't have got any of it you know I could yeah. I could have just sat on my butt in the UK hoping for a break or just pay a little bit of flight money and have a life experience which is why I say to a lot of the guys that I train if there's something you want to do go and do it because if you plan to do it in a year or two you don't get those years back. Just get it done. Go and do it because it's your experience. It's your journey um, and don't have any regrets. And that's why 
you know, I was like, okay, cool, let's go. And I had a great, I was there for six weeks. I had a great time. I learned a lot, uh, made a lot of great like contacts and friends, people I still stay in touch, touch with now, like um, Saraf, who uh, is Sasha Banks' husband, who makes all the, all the expensive gear. I still bug him regularly asking him to make me some gear. Um, he said that when the WWE aren't slave driving in to make all this fancy <laughs> gear, that he might get around to it. But it's people that I stay in touch with. And, and that's what the wrestling journey is about, you know, seeing, meeting people down the road and then coming back into meeting them again. And as I say, all of this knowledge is invaluable. And I would never have gone it, got to any of it if I hadn't invested in myself and just gone and gone and just done something for myself because they, you know, America wasn't going to come to me and take me as a complete unknown. So yes yeah. you know i thought let's get it done let's go and do it yeah invaluable experiences uh can't buy experiences apart from the the mm-hmm. the, the, the plane ride over there this photo was yeah. uh around that time and then of course 2012 came around um and not only did you win your first four fw championship in 2012 which i think is uh one of your your longest title reigns in your career mm-hmm. a tremendous i think it was uh around a year maybe just over a year your first mm-hmm. title reign uh but japan came along as well for zero one if i'm not mistaken um, once again, similar to oh, let's, let's bring this up. So similar to your American experience, another can't buy experience. Um, a different mm-hmm. culture, different wrestling scene, different fans, mm-hmm. different experiences mm-hmm. and opponents. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe some dance moves there. I don't know. Maybe you do have some uh, some sweet moves there. But uh, <laughs> tell us about Japan and, like I say, another awesome experience and one that you mm-hmm. obviously uh, are very thankful for, even all these years later. Um. So when I was in America, I was staying in contact with Dave and Dave was just asking how things were going. And then one day he just messaged me. He was like, what are you doing in 2012? And I'm like, I don't know. What am I doing? And he's like, do you want to go to Japan? Um, And I was like, yes, absolutely. Again, another experience where I just wanted to just go and do something and just, you know, uh, go on the next journey in my career. And so um, he had been like, Dave has this amazing knack for building relationships with Japanese companies, uh, which is why a lot of his guys went and trained with like Michinoku Pro, Kai and Tai Dojo. Um, you know, New Japan had some contacts in there too. So um, at the time, he had built a relationship with Zero One and he had sent my promo pictures over and they were interested. And so he said, Do you want to go? And I was like, 100%. When are they wanting me to go? And basically, they just said, whenever you want to. So I couldn't wait to go. So I went in January, I went for nearly seven weeks. And I learned how to be a British professional wrestler more in that nearly seven weeks than I did the entire time before. Because when I first got there, you do your prep, you know, you've got to do a lot of squats, you've got to do a lot of press ups, and you start studying Japanese wrestling matches, trying to emulate them. And I got there and I was doing it. And they took me to one side and was just like, you're British, please wrestle like a British person. And that's when I started doing a little more. Um, obviously, Doug Williams was a massive inspiration for me. So I started taking a little bit of what he does, you know, like uh, Finley, Regal, um, you know, Dave Taylor with his massive European uppercuts and things like that. I just started taking a little more and really finding my feet as a British professional wrestler. And that time there, was fantastic it was some of the hardest work i've ever done uh, it was one of the best shape i was ever in you know that 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 picture just i was just shredded up you just train 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 all the time and um they treat you like an athlete which is nice you know you know 
sometimes you're treated a little bit like cattle in the UK, you know, uh, but in in Japan, they really treat you like an athlete. And I think that going to Japan for a three month stint really teaches you a lot about professional wrestling and who you are as a professional wrestler. And I think that it's something a lot of us should actually do. It teaches you a lot about discipline and respect. Um, and teaches you about the sport of professional wrestling. I learned a hell of a lot in my time there and uh, I had some fantastic opportunities. I got to wrestle at Hurricane Hall, which is one of the pictures you flashed up, the yellow canvas. Mm. Um, you know, again, investing in myself, it's a, I, I don't know, like maybe like a 450 pound flight. Again, something that would never have happened. And again, when I was out there, they housed me, they fed me. So that was literally all that I paid for. I made a little bit on, on uh, some shows and, and things, but Again, it's just basically, you know, some people spend a thousand more on holidays. This was just a learning holiday, a cheap one at that too. And, you know, again, while I was there, there's a guy called um, Damien Slater, who was in the Cruiserweight Classic, I believe. And there was Jason Lee, who's in Dragon Gate now. He was in the Cruiserweight Classic too. And it was us three as a group. We were like the main standouts of the school at that time and they would take us to sponsor meals and things like that and take us to Rapongi and it was an incredible time and we had some some great you know great times and some great learning experiences and um it's definitely like I've been even considering now I'd love to go back and do Japan now with all the experience that I have now so that's something that I'm going to look into and see if I can go out and just do another tour now that you know I've got a more mature head I, I know who I am as a performer. I think I'll do a lot better mm. now with everything that I know now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to touch on uh, 4FW a bit more. And uh, I mentioned earlier that uh, you, you're a two-time or former two-time 4FW champion. Uh, I think 4FW is a, is a company and certainly is a trainer school, uh, highly regarded, um, certainly in the Southwest and uh, across the UK, really, for the talent that it produced, the awesome shows that it was putting on, the brilliant talent that it was flying over in the, let's say, the shows. Um, I remember watching because I lived and worked in Swindon for several years. Years and I watched uh, several 4FW shows at the Mecca, uh, which was a wonderful venue, always buzzing when 4FW were in town. Uh, and of course, you, you had a, uh, a massive year-long reign as your first uh, championship reign, 4FW champion. Uh, your second reign, I think uh, you had a, a great storyline with Shah Samuels and Gilligan Gordon. Um, but you also won half of the, the Lion Hearts as well. And I think you picked up 4FW tag gold on a number of occasions as one half of the Lion Hearts. But some of the teams that you faced, and I've, I've got here the Bruisers, for example, Ultimate Dragon and Zack Sabre Jr., the Hunter Brothers, the Hooligans, the Magnums. Uh, you was even part of a, a six-man tag, which I was there to witness when you were teaming up with uh, X-Pac, which is uh, another wonderful match. Um, and I'm pretty sure I saw you against the Magnums, and that was, I think that was a, a, a championship match where you maybe won the, the titles back uh, maybe in 2015. Um, but some pretty fun times with 4FW in general, and certainly as one half of the, the very entertaining Lionhearts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, um, I loved my time at 4FW. Uh, as you pointed out, there's lots of people that I worked with and learned from, you know, as you said, like, Shah Samuels, hell of a villain, you know, like, I I like doing the baby, free, baby face routine. It's my, you know, my, my strongest suit. I'm very good at it. And when you've got a villain that really knows how to put heat on you and knows how to get the ire of the fans. That works perfectly because, you know, 
I work against them and you know it's like a house of cards you got to lean together and you know so Shah amazing um Dave Mastiff we had a lot of matches together there too and again I was a very young performer at the time so I'm learning from these guys at the same time um on top of that as you as you pointed out the most random tag match against Zack Sabre Jr and Ultimo Dragon which is an incredible combination of people if you imagine that you know yeah. <laughs> um um you know involved in the match with with x park the 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 bruisers again uh we had some incredible matches because we were kind of i don't know we were we almost felt like we're a little bit of an afterthought there you know like let's put these two teams over here so we were like okay let's go and show them what we're really about and really the psychology of tag wrestling amongst all four of us was something we all had very similar thoughts on, you know, like a lot of our favorite matches were like the rockers versus the brain busters. So, you know, we emulated a lot of that and the storytelling in those matches. And I remember we had, uh, we had a tag match and I think it was Dave Mastiff was watching under the curtains. We were just opening and it was the Magnum, uh, not the Magnums. It was uh, the bruises against me and Jace and, we came back and Dave came and shook our hands and he said, that was one of the best tag matches I've seen in this country for a long time. And it's just purely storytelling. And that's exactly what we did. We took some of the rockers, we took some of the brain busters, mixed it in, tried to bring it up. And, you know, Gilligan and uh, Matt will tell you that, you know, their, their strength isn't like that, that the way that they're physical in the ring in terms of, you know, they're not going to be running around and doing all this crazy stuff, but they're really good at telling a story and the psychology part and really leading a crowd because me and me and Jace were the ones that were going to do all the athletic stuff. They didn't need to do all that crazy stuff. They needed just to put, put the heat on us. And we just built the, the, the crowd up into a fever and we had some great tag matches. I really enjoyed those. They were, they were great. And we learned a lot and, you know, again, feedback from these people on the shows, but, but yeah, my time at 4FW, I absolutely loved the Hunter brothers. I cannot stress enough how good those guys are where uh, I know that Jim doesn't really do any shows anymore, which is an absolute travesty. Um, I would love for him to come back because uh, as a tag team, like don't get me wrong, Lee Hunter is phenomenal as a singles wrestler, but as a tag team, they were untouchable. Um, yeah, agreed. Like yeah. I've never seen a team work together. So obviously they're brothers. So, uh, but yeah, absolutely flawless. Um, but yeah, just all of Good the times. experiences I had there were, were all great. And, I miss a lot of those four FW guys. Do, you know, I was never the most talented person in that crop. You know, you had your Owen Phoenix, your Ben Amali, your Sammy Sahin, your uh, Antonio De Luca. Like so those guys were Tigerelli and Tiger yeah, exactly. They, they, <laughs> they all should be doing as much as me and more. And it's such a shame that they're not. But you know, at the end of the day, you you've got to have confidence in yourself, and you have to want it and go and get it. And I don't know if it's that. There's obviously something because, as I say, t- talent-wise, all of those guys were more talented than me. Um, I just, I guess, the difference between me and them was I just grounded out more and just really pushed on more. But I would like to see some of those guys back. I know DeLuca lives in Italy now and has had a kid and things, so that's not likely. Uh, I know that Tiger Ali is obviously doing some stuff with Brick King now, uh, Sammy Brick King. Um, Owen, I don't think wrestles anymore. Uh, I'd love to see him wrestle again because he was one of those people that didn't even like wrestling and then he came one day because he was grounded and 
then ended up being one of the the best young junior heavyweights in the country and then he just disappeared and it's just such a shame there we go so i'm gonna bring up uh, some pictures there with the championship uh, a beautiful looking championship as well um but uh fun times fun times and we mentioned it briefly earlier or certainly you you brought it up briefly earlier was five star and uh, like i say it's a short-lived promotion i think it's probably around for maybe a couple of years um and i think you had matches towards the end there with jake hager and uh, pj black uh but uh, and please feel free to correct me i think you were their last ever champion before um before they, they stopped running shows before they stopped airing the, the tv show but uh, uh fond memories of five star for yourself um i know that five star has a mixed reception like obviously there are people who hated it uh and there are people that enjoyed it um for me for me, as a complete unknown, it was great for me because it was just a springboard to other things. You know, I took it as the opportunity that it was. I was just a local guy just working local shows. You know, I was starting to get a little bit of traction and stuff. So for me to get on TV and be in the same category as the likes of, you know, Rey Mysterio, RVD, Jack Swagger or Jake Hager as he is, um, you know, like all of these guys, Chris Masters, like that didn't do me any that that wasn't bad for me at all like that no. elevated me and raised me up to another level and then on top of that you know like i was there i only did five shows it was five weeks um and i worked a lot of very good people so like the first the first show that i was involved with i wrestled jackson or jake hager um you know then i wrestled pj black um then i wrestled uh there's another one there. I feel really bad that I've forgotten it. It's a long time ago. And I do apologize. Then there was the show where it was like, I feel really bad because it almost felt like, uh, and we joke amongst us that it was almost like the Eddie Ryan show because it was based in Plymouth. And that's when I did that big gauntlet, big gauntlet. And I wrestled like a billion people and then went on to wrestle Jake Hager again later on in the show, which, um, which I take a lot of pride in because when I came backstage, there were, you know, the guys like Jake and, and Ray and those guys that were involved with it came and shook my hand because I was in the ring for like nearly like an hour and I was a complete nobody doing his best to try and not be completely shit, you know, because again, you're on live TV. I'd never done TV before that. The closest to TV I'd ever done was theater shows, which is, you know, work the hard count basically, you know, and, promos have never been my strongest suit and now i'm on tv trying to cut like live promos against these guys who have had like proper training and i'm just begging people to just help me please give me some advice i just want to be better at this you know i'm just trying to get better and then the final show which is um the belfast show which was the snowstorm which kind of killed it off completely um was when i wrestled um is it zach or the Zach Gibson, yes, and yeah. that was for the the real wrestling championship, and that was, I felt quite bad for the company because at the time they'd made so they had Jake Hager the the champion, and they had been building Zach as like the main villain, and so that's why they had this real wrestling championship because Jack was basically supposed to be, oh, I don't do any of this rubbish American stuff, I'm the real champion, and so they were going to introduce this championship to him, but he had. Uh, an offer from WWE and so they told him to finish up his dates so he came in and he very graciously said because originally they did say that 
we don't want you doing this last last date. I think they wanted to try and squash some stuff. And uh, um, he was very good and said, I think it's only fair that I use what steam I have to put over someone on the way out. And, you know, I don't know if it was him that picked me or the management that picked me, but essentially they paired us together on that one show. And the plan was eventually I would then do the storyline that, that Jack was supposed to be doing and the, the real wrestling championship and then get paired back together with, with Jake Hager again. Uh, unfortunately, that was the last show that they ever did. So, um, But as I say, for me, again, invaluable experience. Yeah. Um, t- you know, TV exposure that I would never have got anywhere else. Oh, you know, phenomenal, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it helped transition me to being a full-time professional wrestler at the time, which is difficult. It's not easy. Um, and so I just thought, in for a penny, let's, let's go for it. Let's see if I can make this work. And, you know, after the five weeks, you're kind of like, uh-oh, might be in trouble here. <laughs> um, yeah. But as I say, like, if I had never have done that, and I understand why people have a bad taste there in, in their mouth with regards to it. I know that you know, they'd let some people down before and obviously there was the the fans that had paid for tickets and stuff that I hope that they all got their money back through that, you know, if they paid by card, they yeah. could have done disputes and stuff to get the money back. And, you know, I appreciate that certain people have that negativity, but personally for me, it was one of the best breaks that I ever got in wrestling because without it, I wouldn't have got opportunities to do other things, you know. And as I say, WWE were watching look at the guys that they ended up signing for NXT UK that were signed yeah. or signed to uh, to Five Star Wrestling. So if they if I'd never done that, then I don't know if I would have ever actually done anything with regards to NXT. So for me, it was a great experience. Yeah, and let's briefly talk about uh, your WWE experience because uh, for those that don't know, uh, you you were involved in uh, a set of tapings in a, in a certain hometown of yours in Plymouth. Um, but obviously, these these tapings were announced well in advance, and I know there was a bit of a an online campaign, wasn't there, uh, to try and get you on the Plymouth show in particular, being the Plymouth uh, hometown boy, of course. Um, and you were kind of obviously well behind the campaign that that, that had started, and and. There you were. You did, I think you featured in one dark match, which was against Saxon Huxley, I believe, and you won. And then a, um, a, a match that was taped against uh, Fabian Eichner. Um, but yeah. uh, hell of an experience, and obviously one that you still think back on quite fondly, I believe. Uh, but but tell us about that, and how did it all happen, materialize, and, and uh, give us your thoughts and experience looking back on it five years later. Uh, so, as I say did the five star stuff the company yeah. unfolded and and all went under so that would have been so it started in february march so around about april time um i did a show uh, i in london and johnny kidd was there and he was watching in the wings and i had a really good match and come back and johnny was just you know giving a little bit of feedback and things and saying about how much he enjoyed it and he asked for my co- my contact details and so i didn't think anything of it because Johnny's a wonderful man. If you've ever met him, he's a truly wonderful man. Lovely, humble. And so gave him that. And about a week later, uh, so I gave my email and my mobile number. And a week later, I got a call that came through. And I don't normally pick up numbers that I don't know. I'm one of those people that very much doesn't really like answering the phone anyway. Just text me. I prefer that. If you ring me, I'm like, oh, I, hate, I just hate answering the phone. And uh, 
it came up and the number was American and it said Stanford, Connecticut. And I thought, well, there's a company I know that obviously based there. So out of curiosity, I answered it and it was William Regal. And at first, because I know my friends, I was wondering if I knew any of my friends that did a good William Regal impression. <laughs> they were ribbing me because that's what we do. And yeah. Um, no, the more I was in this conversation, I realized it was actually him. And basically he was just saying, would you be interested in doing some stuff with us if, if the opportunity came up? And well, you don't, you don't say no, really. And so we had that conversation. So he said, well, we've got your details. We're going to send you over, you know, packs to fill in and stuff to get you on our files and everything. So I did all that, that went away. And I didn't hear anything back for a long time. And so I know that they mentioned that they were doing some tapings later in the year. And if anything came up and any opportunities came up, they would be in touch. So summer came by, just doing the camps. And as I say, about early to mid-September, I think, I got an email from WWE asking about interest and availability for the set of tapings in Plymouth. Now, obviously, uh, like hopeful optimism you see them in Plymouth and you're like, I'd really like to do that. And, you know, you try and stir things up, try and get some interest going. But, yeah. you know, basically with such a big company, it's just basically like just shouting, shouting into the wind and hoping something happens, you know. And obviously I knew that there had been some contact before, so there might be some potential. But I, again, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. I can sit on my butt and do nothing or I can sort of instigate little things and, you know, WWE is about the fans and things like that. So I do know that from my interactions with them, they did say that the social media, like they did pick up little bits here and there. It's obviously not a massive amount, but it did it did help my cause. But they did get in contact and say, we would like to use you. But at the time it was, they only said, bring your wrestling gear, but we, bring something smart because you'll probably only do security. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm just happy to be a part of it, you know it's an experience and it's a foot in the door and then we can go on to other things. And uh, so I turn up to the, the show, you've got to be all suited and booted and you walk in, you go around and say he your hellos. And it's nice, you know, when you see friends that see yeah. you there, cause they know how hard you've been working and things. So you go around and shake your hands, meet the trainers and everything. And then the guys came out of the production meeting and they were like, have you got your ring gear? I'm like, yeah. So okay, cool. You're going to be in a dark match later. Go and see this guy. He'll be your agent and we'll run through everything. You're on the Saxon. Like, okay, cool. And so they start going through everything and they tell you, you've got a four minute match and you're like, how can I do anything in four minutes? But this, you know, I'm not going to complain. We're going to get it done. And so you get ready. You, you know, try not to upset anyone. You make sure you, you say your pleases and thank yous. And you go out and I'm at the entrance way and they're getting ready for the dark match uh the tv screens are behind there and i'm trying not to be a big mark because you've got triple h and Shawn michaels sat at the side and you know again guys that i've grown up watching on tv who are massive influences for most people in the wrestling business um and they're directing all the cameras and everything you know and they're just there going oh relax you know just go and show us what you can do in four minutes okay sir you know and obviously being from plymouth and doing a lot of work in the Southwest. I knew that there would be some fans who would know who I was, but I wasn't expecting anything crazy. Um, but, you know, they pulled up some generic music for me and made me a little Tron. So this music goes up, no one recognizes the music because they can't use licensed music. So music goes on. And then my name came up on the Tron and the place 
just the, honestly <laughs> the pop was insane and like all the goosebumps when all the adrenaline started to flow and you're like okay that wasn't expecting that at all and then you take a little look over your shoulder and you can see triple h and Shawn michaels to the side just staring at me and triple h just stands up and says who the fuck's this guy and then the guy giving you the cues to go through the curtain goes go and like okay i've got to go so immediately the first thought i've got in my head is i'm in trouble when i get back <laughs> because that's not you know it's good to get some sort of reaction but obviously when they're not you know they want to plan for everything and yeah. that wasn't in the plan so i go out and then because i got the pop and people didn't think it was going to be me and so when i went out it then got a second bigger pop which if if that's my only ever interaction with wwe i'm happy because uh it was it meant so much because it was in my hometown and that venue the only time i'd ever been in that venue before was to do my university exams i've never been in that venue other than that um and so to go out and get that reaction and things and just such a happy memory and you get in the ring the referee leaned in and and just said ah oh, you're over kid like okay cool you know like just nice to get some kind of like interaction yeah. some reception and so saxon makes his way down you know we lock up we're about a minute minute and a half in i get cut off sat on my butt um saxon puts some hold on me and the referee just leans in and says eddie's got to go over and I'm thinking, what do you mean? And it's like, and look, Hunter says, you've got to go over. So I'm waiting for like some instruction because the, the heel always leads. And so we sort of cobbled together a finish. The finish was supposed to be a powerbomb. So I just said, put me up to the powerbomb. I'll just drop down and just roll you up easy. Let's not overcomplicate this. That's not what this is about. Because if, if I completely fucked it up, that would have yeah. looked worse than doing a simple finish. So we did that. We get the pop. We make our way out get backstage and triple h is a very big and imposing man as you might assume and sure. so i walk back through the curtain and he stood there hands on hips you know as wide as he is tall and he just walks over and just goes you're the hometown kid and i'm like yes sir and he was like no one told me and if we'd known we would have planned for it like okay i'm sorry about that he's like you haven't got anything to be sorry about and Basically, he said that if anything, it worked in my favor because um, it put me like, you know, under pressure, saw how I worked, you know, you know, calling stuff on the fly and working off script. And they said that I impressed a few people and to go to the producer's office at the end of the show. So obviously the rest of the show goes on. Uh, the reason I had to go over was because if I'd lost, it would have killed the crowd straight away. And so they were like, if. If we kill them, we'll never get them back. So yeah. that was why they had to change the finish. And so at the end of the day, I went to the trainer's office uh, and they said, you did very well. We're going to put you on TV tomorrow. And so we'll think about who you're going to go on with and just bring your stuff, get here early tomorrow so we can do promo pictures. We can do vignettes with, um, with our guys like Jeremy Borash and things. And so we did all that. I get there the next day. We did all that. And uh, yeah, they were like, well, we're super pushing Fabian at the moment. It'll be good to get the heat off of you onto him if he beats up the hometown boy. Uh, I thank, again, Joel and Fabian massively. Fabian, uh, massive respect for Joel. And so Fabian yeah. messaged Joel because they obviously did a lot for All Star back when Fabian was working for Brian. And so Fabian messaged Joel and was like, do you know this guy? Is he any good? Joel 
again thank you for kind words and so originally it was just supposed to be like a two or three minute squash match but fabian went to the producer's office and said it would make more sense for me to beat someone who isn't just a walkover if he puts up a fight it makes me look better so he went to the producers and they eventually gave us seven minutes which i thank him massively for um he could have just let me just be a job guy and just get squashed um and it gave me an opportunity to shine a little bit more and do a little bit more which is which is fantastic and um again one of those situations where i have to take a, a sit back and realize you know the things that i've done um if that as i say if that's the only interaction i ever have with wwe then i'm happy you know just a happy memory um it was good to be stood in a wwe ring and all of your hard work is paid off you know yeah not everyone's goal is wwe <clears throat> but we see that as quite a high standard and growing up i used to watch wwf as it as it was um and so it just sort of lets you know that the hard work pays off and that you do belong because they wouldn't put someone shit in a ring if they knew that yeah. you were just going to be really bad you know so uh that was like a you know just one of those confirmation moments where it's like okay this is a goal like a rung on the ladder now we can aim for more and uh yeah it was an amazing experience i again take away all the feedback and as i said before just we were you know talking and stuff and if it wasn't for covid then maybe something more might have come of it but you know yeah what, if what a wonderful story and uh yeah, it must have given you a hell of a boost confidence-wise, but uh, oh, yeah. just a, a few pictures uh, from the event. And uh, once again, oh, my slides are a little bit on the slow, but uh, like I say, the, the gear, the pop, I think that, that looks like Fabian there. So that's probably the, the, the yeah. TV match. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, my slides aren't playing ball today, but um, they will do. Uh, they will do. But uh, what... what here we go. But one of the things I want to talk to you about is uh, we've spoken about your your tag team with uh, with uh, uh, Joel, of course, R and R, and the Lionhearts. Um, but I want to talk to you about the crazy teacups. Is that right? Um, now I know that you so you said that you kind of came up through the business with uh, Nick Riley and Charlie Sterling, and uh, of course your tag team partner in Pro Wrestling Chaos. Uh, was the aforementioned, aforementioned Charlie Sterling. Uh, so yeah. uh, tell us a little bit about that pairing, because I think you had a, a very lengthy tag title reign with some very memorable matches and feuds along the way. Um, and uh, But tell us a bit about the, 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 the team name to start off with, Eddie, because um, looking at you two side by side, the crazy teacups wouldn't be the first thing that would come to mind. <laughs> so the wonderful thing about chaos is that they want to do something a little bit different with everyone that they have you know like if you want to go and see the like babyface eddie ryan do his routine like you can see me at upw you can see me at sww uh, you know like you can see me at places at csf where you can see me do that but they wanted to do something different with people so that you could only come and see that at a chaos show so at the time we, they were doing a storyline whereby I had a ladder match and they did that seesaw like thing with the ladder, you know, the one where Jerry, Joey Mercury's yeah. face all basically imploded. So they did that and thankfully I didn't break my face, but they did that and basically that was the beginning of me becoming this crazy, almost like, do you remember when Bob Backlund came back in the mid-90s? Yeah, the, the crazy, yeah, yeah, but I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> didn't he run for president once on as well <laughs> yes. uh, but it was loosely based on that type of idea and 
Charlie at the time was, I don't know if you can find it, he was like using a teacup as his entrance. So right. he came out with a teacup and a saucer because he was supposed to be, you know, Charlie Sterling, you know, like almost like upper class type thing. And um, so originally it was just supposed to be like a one off pairing. And Charlie, if you've ever met Charlie, he is just a bundle of energy. And it's almost like you've got to try and tie him down a little bit because he can be very hectic. He could, he could be a pain in the ass is the best way to put it at times. You love him and you hate him because he's stressful, but incredibly inventive at the same time. And so to put us together was supposed to be Charlie's wild side mixed with my deadpan reaction to things because you can't out Charlie Sterling, Charlie Sterling. So the only thing you can do is try and sound off him in different ways, you know? And, um, and so that was basically how it started. And there was some chemistry there. And weirdly, we were actually named by the fans. They just started this random crazy teacups <laughs> chant. That's how it was started. And it's just, you know, they put, they took my little bit and then, the, so they would just chant crazy teacups. And then eventually, um the the guys at chaos they got a dub of crazy horses and dubbed it over as crazy teacups and things like that so it's just Brilliant. it all sort of spiraled from there then they put um prior khan with us and i don't know just it's one of those things where sometimes you just have to let things naturally happen and it just was organic and it all came together and again charlie's just being charlie and me just doing like the sounding board deadpan reactions to things just seemed to work and the fans seemed to like it. And then you had Pariah Khan, who, if you've ever seen his work, he's a fantastic promo. He really is. Like, he's one of the best in the country. And I don't know why he isn't doing more out there. Uh, I think he does like comedy tours and things. He's incredibly entertaining and I'd like to see him in more places. Um, but yeah, just the magic of it all came together. And, you know, we, we did a lot of tag matches. Like, like off the top of my head like i can't i can't narrow down specific ones like i know that we did some with like paul robinson and mine oh i think we've temporarily lost eddie there oh there we go We're sorry back. So someone tried to call me. someone tried to call me um and yeah so yeah we had a few matches i don't know just the chemistry happened and we had a great deal of time and then that's when lockdown started to come along and the old owners were going to close down chaos and things so um so we were all kind of coming to an end with that storyline anyway it was running its course and yeah. then when uh, the new chaos owners opened up it kind of didn't seem right to try and start that again so we kind of left it as it was but i've got yeah, a picture I here is this uh that's the, <laughs> the crazy teacups there <laughs> oh absolutely was, fantastic uh, Again, if you if you know Charlie Sterling, he will. I think he wears other people's gear more than his own. I think now that he's with Nick Riley, I think he, uh, I think he's better at wet, like ordering and wearing his own gear. But that there was a weird, uh, was a random show that we did in I think Barnstable, and we were. That was when my old tag partner had stopped wrestling, and so I had his cape, and so we were the Lionhearts 2.0 because Charlie just likes a, a, a good gimmick, and so. Yeah, but that was that was actually I think that might have been prior to the teacups. I can't remember, but yeah, if you've ever seen Charlie at a show, like you'll find a random prop like a builder's hat or a mop or something like that. I think one of the 
one of the best matches I've ever seen live was Charlie Sterling versus Wild Boar in Gloucester for Evo Wrestling, I think. And there wasn't a massive turnout. It was an adult show. But I just remember Charlie coming out and he had this mop. And on the fly, Wild Boar managed to sort of turn it into a prop in the match because the mop was about the same height as Boar. And like, you know, like he mocked it for like, it looked like his hair and things like that. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was an incredible match. And again, just Charlie messing around and somehow manages to find gold. He's just an incredibly talented <laughs> person. It always makes me sick, really. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a few questions now. Let's see if we can answer some of these before we go home. Um, so this is from a Facebook user. I think uh, I, I did just check and I think his name is Danny Loss, but uh, he asks a uh, uh, better question because he did send one earlier. Favorite companies that you've worked for and plans for the future oh. in BritRest? So uh, I'd say obviously there's going to be some that uh, you prefer over others, but uh, we, we've spoken about one or two already. But to your favorite companies to work for in BritRest and uh, your, your future or your plans uh, for Brit, uh, your plans, future plans in BritRest, if I can get my words out. But uh, how would you like to answer Danny's question there? Um, so, again, every company offers something slightly different. Uh, I've, I've got good memories. Like, I still have... The way I approach wrestling now is that I want to work for companies that, one, want to invest in me, and two, I still enjoy, if that makes sense. You know, like, I, I'm not at that part of my career where I go out and just do random bookings just to get out and just do just, just to make money like I used to. Cause once when you're full time, you're just out doing any booking, you're just yeah. doing as much as you can. Whereas now I'm in a much better financial place whereby um, I could be a bit more picky and choosy. And so the companies that I work for now are generally the ones that I have the best relationship with in terms of, their creative or you know the, the the working relationship with the promoter or the talent that they book and things like that so you know like a, a immediately incredible times with csf csf always draw a great house they've got a very loyal following the crowds are all you know always very vocal and loud and stuff one, again one of my favorite matches i ever had there was a cage match with jd knight just the the, the pop we we had that night was incredible um UPW, a company that I've worked for for a long time. Again, one of my favorite memories is, you know, part of the big league thing with Chris Andrews. Um, SWW, I love working for Pete. Uh, Chaos, the Chaos guys. So, you know, the thing I like about Chaos is that now they're bringing through a new crop of guys. It means I have new people to work with, which is great. I want to work with these new guys because I want to help give them my experience. Whilst on top of that, I'm learning too. So I want to work with them and they have things to teach and styles to teach and I'm doing things that I don't normally do. So it helps keep me happy. Um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to feel bad because there's going to be some that I'm going to, I'm going to forget now. And they're going to be like, why didn't you tell, talk about us? And it's because I'm on the spot, but um, <laughs> I think you've but, named yeah. some really good companies there already. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, just, if I work for the company, then generally I, I enjoy working there. Cause if I didn't, I wouldn't work there. So, 100%. Um, but yeah, just those to name a few. The other ones, they're, they're all great. I have great memories with all of them. Yeah, I suppose Future Plans is going to very much revolve around Lions Den Pro and uh, getting off the ground, making a success of that and uh, 
continuing to team with Jolie and SWW and all the great companies that you have success with. But uh, one of the questions that came through earlier, and once again, the name won't come up, but I know that this is a friend of the show, Scott Thomas, and he asks, uh, if you were to pick a Mount Rushmore of current gen wrestlers, who would you pick and why? So uh, once again, putting you on the spot, some, some super tough questions coming mm. through from our uh, audience out there, but uh, uh, three or four to make a Mount Rushmore of current gen wrestlers. Uh, and like I say, there's there's a lot you can choose from just from the South and the Southwest alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so are we talking like... Are we talking like WWE or are we talking like UK wrestlers? I, let, let, let's have a let's uh, focus on uh, on British talent. I would say. Okay, okay, okay. Um, that's probably even harder to be honest because you know obviously there's a smaller crop of guys in WWE, but in the UK it's um, there's so many there's just so many talented people. I mean, if we're talking about all round performer. Number one has to be Charlie Sterling because some of the stuff that he can do is incredible, like from a physical point of view. And I don't know, just like the way he connects with the crowd. He's he's been great for a long time. So yeah. Charlie Sterling, definitely. The difficulty I have here too is that there's going to be bias too because there are people that <laughs> that obviously I spend a lot more time with and see a lot more of their matches. So again. Uh, there's some people that I don't see all that regularly, so it's difficult. But um, uh, again, just from my benchmark right now, as, as someone who is an incredible performer, um, Joel Redman, um, just because his standards just do not slip. You know, just the, the, the work ethic, the engine, um, you know, he doesn't ever there's there's no match where Joel's like oh we'll just go half speed on this one like whether there's 10 people or 110 people or whether it's a camp show or a normal show you get yeah. Joel Redman and there's you know it's a great yeah. standard to keep he's um, the ultimate pros pro isn't he mm-mm, 100% um maybe one uh, more another, uh, let's go for one more it's even more difficult i think this guy um so Bullet is someone that I have a little bit of bias towards because I helped him sort of get started um, again because he was wrestling originally and then he decided to make a second go of it and I helped him really sort of get going and to see how well he has um, like developed and become as a performer for things like Progress and all of the other promotions he works for, he has just come on leaps and bounds i'm so proud of everything that he's gone on to do um but you know like if we have those three i don't want to diminish people who are also applying their trade in this country you know like so you've got like miwa who is unbelievable at the moment you've got nick riley who is an incredible talent you have loads of those welsh guys you know like wild boar uh brendan you've got like I don't even know where to begin. Like there is so many talented people out there at the moment. And again, just because their name doesn't come up here, I don't want them to think that I don't think that they're good. It's just kind of on the spot, pick 
the best ones and you're just kind of like oh we've put you in a difficult <laughs> spot we really have we put you in a difficult <laughs> spot i don't think anybody would think uh, bad of you at all um but uh, uh, but before we ask you for your socials eddie um i just need to quickly remind uh, my followers and listeners and viewers out there about my next two guests mm-hmm. obviously we've got the wonderful eddie ryan there as our guest today but tomorrow in just 24 hours time less than 24 hours time british wrestling legend james mason will be on the show at a slightly different start time of eight 30 instead of eight o'clock so make sure you tune in for 8 30 um but uh, that will be a live interview and james i don't think he does many or any interviews so this is going to be a tremendous insight um into the mind of one of the best uk wrestlers that's ever laced up a pair of boots um with a 30 year career under his belt um but uh, that's going to be a fabulous one and uh, after james let me just get rid of the ticker here. After James, uh, next week, I've got uh, the fabulous Rain Leverkusen coming onto the show Wednesday, the 21st of June, and 8 p.m. UK start time. Uh, absolutely lighting up the scene. Has recently returned from her own tour of Japan, uh, picking up uh, championships all over the UK. One of the hottest uh, young talents on the scene. And it'd be great to talk to Rain Leverkusen on the 21st of June. Uh, besides that, we do have uh, Mike Quackenbush and uh, Vusik coming on as my guests before the end of the month. Uh, so make sure that you uh, hit like to this video, hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any future interviews for Wrestling Majonas. And my July and August and September lineup is already starting to stack up with some huge names. Uh, but to Eddie, before we say goodbye to you, uh, an opportunity, and we'll bring up the, the ticker once again if I can find it, for you to tell us where we can get in touch. Uh, with yourself, where we can get in touch with Lions Den, uh, Lions Den Pro. Uh, and uh, I do need to quickly find it here because here we go. Uh, but uh, tell us where we can reach out if we want to find out more about yourself and once again, more about your school, which will be uh, officially opening up the 1st of July. So you can find me on Facebook, as I say, it is a profile and not a page. Uh, just Eddie Ryan, you'll find me. Um, it's just a profile, click add. I'll accept as long as you're not overly strange or do anything weird with my profile, then <laughs> yes. I accept most people. Uh, so you can find me there. Um, the Lions Den Facebook page, uh, Lions Den Pro Plymouth. Um, on Instagram, you can find me under English Lion One. Um, and the Lions Den Instagram is Lions Den Pro Plymouth. The email is on both of those pages if you want to get in touch with us via email. But as I say, I answer all the messages on Facebook and Instagram. So don't feel like you have to go through that route. Awesome. But uh, Eddie Ryan, uh, you've been uh, an awesome guest on episode 302 of Wrestling With Jonas. Um, and uh, like I say, we've had a, a lot of interest in this and uh, like I say, really, really fun interview. So thank you so much. Uh, what, one thing I like to do with all my guests before we depart is just any final message from my guests, um, you know, to their friends, followers, fans out there. Um, if you've got a final message from Eddie Ryan, what would it be? Um, fans. So the fans just enjoy wrestling as fans. Honestly, it's much better if you just take a back seat and just let us do what I do um, or let us do what we do. You know, sometimes I, I feel that fans try and dictate to us too much. Honestly, we listen to you, but don't just sit back like you go to a movie. Sit back and enjoy it. Enjoy just it. Let us yeah. do our part for, you know, for, for my friends out there, you know, take time to take time to enjoy the things that you've done and achieved, you know, like sometimes you just got to take a sit back and, and, and appreciate everything you've done. But to the people who are aspiring, aspiring to be new pros, you know, like whether you're a new professional wrestler or whether you've been someone that playing a trade, 
small phrase that I was I, I heard in a film called Waiting. If you know it, the difference between ordinary and extraordinary is that little bit extra. Go that extra mile. Do those extra things. Trust me, you do. You, you get in what you get out what you put in. So do that little bit extra. You're going to go that extra mile. Okay. Brilliant. But uh, Eddie Ryan, you've been a, an extraordinary guest on episode 302. And uh, we'll see you down the road, my friend. Perfect. Thank you very much.